in a podcast where two people talk with one other person about the sex work industry and everything else. It's finally the topic that everybody thinks that this podcast is supposed to be about. Anytime we we ask people for examples of the opposite of small talk, it's always intense sexual scenarios. So it's here, the sex episode. Gotten your wish. (laughs) Gotten your wish. Um, This episode is awesome. Uh, This is the first part of, (laughs) to be determined how many parts, this is a record-breaking podcast interview. The actual interview itself was seven hours long <laughs> we and none of us had any idea because we were so raptured by this conversation we thought it was two hours maximum and instead it was seven <laughs> um we cover a lot of great topics yeah so this first part is about um our guest fred her experience in the sex work industry and many different aspects of what it is to work in the sex work industry some details of uh hierarchy how you make money and um other stuff (laughs) trolls oh yeah uh fred was a webcam girl and she gets into how much that pays what it's like what kind of person you need to be in order to be successful at it uh the psychology on both parties the worker as well as the customer and much much else and then we get into talking about um one of our favorite topics of what are the origins of trauma is it more a societal thing that's put on individuals or is it something that's coming from inside and is like the universal truth um so Fred has some very interesting opinions on that. All in all, a great episode. Also, Fred breaks, makes records in other ways. She was our first guest who was a fan of the show before we ever met her. And um, she reached out to us asking to be on the show, thinking, uh, you know, that she definitely had some not so small talk things to share with the world. And we totally agree. Um, we really, really love her and this episode and all of the episodes of hers to come there she's it's it's just so interesting to i feel like a lot of the public conversation about sex work um as we get into in this episode is more about like oh what's the what's the trauma what's the damage what's the what are all the negative aspects of this industry and fred introduces let's she went into it from a place of compassion for humans loving human connection and loving sex and it's a it's a refreshing viewpoint to hear hear that side of things indeed it was we're very happy to have her on yeah for those of you who didn't listen to last week's episode with bill listen to it or at the very least go to our instagram and if you're a u.s citizen if not you can still go there but u.s citizens this is a call to action for you because we need you to call your representative and ask them to sponsor a bill that is going to save the world so please check out our instagram for that information and anything else i feel like i thought of 90 things i wanted to say about fred at the beginning of this and then i i don't remember them now as is like to happen Fred is now a 
fire performer and runs a business creating fire toys. So that's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> she's she's pretty she's pretty neat. She's Multifaceted. Yes, we bonded over our love of asking people odd questions and many other things, but she's uh I think she should be everyone's number one invite at any dinner party. A great way to describe her. Fred, your number one invite to your next dinner party here on Occasionally Interesting. And without further ado, Fred. Occasionally interesting. Occasionally interesting. They are occasionally interesting. I guess it comes out of like um, yeah, performing with like timings of the thing. I like I studied twice, uh, and those kind of became names that I attached to because I did it for a long time. Um, and also like having an internet personality, I realized I wasn't different like online personality, but you just get attached to that, you know. Uh, login name that you chose at the time to think so it just became very like easy adapted and it's not really hmm, like you change your character as such but you um, emphasize parts of your character to do with sort of these sections definitely that's really cool to have a different name for like every aspect of your personality basically and like the group that you're going to be interacting with I mean in the kind of sense I think everybody that's it without the name part sort of thing but right. you're not the same person you are when you go to the supermarket and when you're going for a job interview yeah or when like you're going out with your friends to dance sort of thing it's just versus dinner with your parents <laughs> exactly it's just yes i mean I, I, I we've referenced this show on uh the podcast before but invisibilia have you ever heard of it it's, oh. a, it's a podcast on from npr no i haven't it's a podcast about they talk about like the invisible forces that drive humans. Humans, and one of them is personality, and they they put forth a couple the of theories. Episode name is called the myth of personality. Yeah, or the per- personality myth. A couple of theories about personalities, and like what the one that I think that we've sort of come back to time and time again is that personalities are more fluid than we give them credit for. That. Like you were saying, you're a different person in different circumstances. Um, and this has been backed up by science. Like when they say like, oh, this kid would never cheat. And then they put them in a circumstance where they're not good at math. And then there's an opportunity to cheat when they're in a math test. This otherwise, you know, really stand up student that would never cheat all of a sudden, you know, more than likely to cheat. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on even down to like negative personality traits. Like the propensity to cheat may even be more fluid than we would hope. And even like, I mean, wow, there's nuance to all of those things of being like something that's negative in one circumstance isn't going to be negative in all circumstances. Like sometimes there could really be like a a good reason to cheat if it's like, I mean, it's just kind of weighing your options. But yeah, I think, well, the episode also, it starts out with uh, they go to um, like a court in in Washington, D.C., the capital of the U.S., and they're seeing all of these people who have just gotten their marriage licenses and it's starting off from this point of uh, they're asking people, oh, like, why 
why are you marrying this person? And they, they go through all of these personality traits. And that's kind of the jumping off point for exploring, like, these people are trusting that this person is going to be these same core five traits in 50 years from now. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's why they want to get married. And then the whole episode's kind of being like, that's not true and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely very much believe that the idea of, like, identity is totally an illusion. It's like, it's this mask that you keep putting on. And um, I think like uh, often in, in hippie groups, you talk about like the true self. And I, I'm really not a believer of this true self because everything that you do is true to yourself. You're not really, um, even like when you're lying, that's still like part of you, yeah. part of your personality, of your trait, of how you act around people. Totally. And yeah, I think it's completely fluid of, I really believe that somebody who, let's say, has been brought up, let's say, in a hippie commune and has like this stereotypical uh, tick list of things like wears ecological clothing, um, cares about nature, can literally just have an experience that makes them think, no, I want to live in, uh, in a big city and start a business firm. Yes. I really think you can literally jump from one to that. And Absolutely. I think there's many examples of that all over the place. Um, I guess normally you see it from the harsher side to the softer side, maybe jump. But I think it's completely possible. And I think even though we might be stuck in certain traits, you know, by uh, having enough experiences that this becomes like a more permanent trait that people know you as, you're still able to experience something completely new that you have no experience of so you don't have like um i'm imagining like a river you know when it trails sort of thing it maybe just keeps going down the same path every time it rains it goes down the same path but Mm -hmm. if you're in a completely new scenario there's not already like set path so you could literally go anywhere Mm. um are you guys aware of darren brown um uh he's a british um magician illusionist type and basically uh his shows are mostly about showing you what people are capable of so he has this massive setup uh where he doesn't necessarily hypnotize people to do what he wants them to do but the power of suggestibility and the latest one that he's done uh has been it seems very political it wasn't intentional political about finding a really racist guy in America and putting him in a scenario where he can save the life of an immigrant and like seeing what this person basically does. You know, it it tells you the backstory of why this person's racist, his uh, background and why he came to have these beliefs and then putting him in a scenario where he has to act completely against his beliefs. And he's done lots of shows like this um, about fighting people uh this is a really awesome one whether they were capable of murdering somebody like and everybody thinks no i would never do that never do that and i think people when they say that they never really put themselves in that person's shoes they're just like i like this imagery of what you normally do is put on somebody else's shoes with yours still on. Yeah. Like you never really like fully take yours off to like immerse yourself. Or, like, yeah. well, if I was in that scenario of everything happening and I was that type of person, yeah, of course I would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. What do you think that is like 
it's so hard for me to relate to the idea that but it does seem like the majority of people are under the impression like I'm not capable of of being bad or like I would never act against the way that I think is best to act even though you know we are all living contradictions of that in small scale every day like I think I'm I think I'm totally capable of all of the very worst things to put me in the right situation I have no illusions that I'm a good person all the time yeah I I think it's like the denial uh due to like you don't want to be seen as bad by your group um but I really think that we all have this level of incredibly horrible thoughts that we don't even probably share with our best friends but one example that I'm always really willing to give is I often will look at a place I'm like I would love to see it burn down (sighs) or like I would love to see a ship sink like nothing in me that particularly wants to see people dying but like that's something that seems really interesting to me I want to see like Mm. I would like to see a car crash happen suddenly in front of my face but they're not socially acceptable things that we're allowed to talk about like these bad thoughts and I think people have a really difficult time separating like bad thoughts from bad actions this is okay you have to listen to invisibilia it's going to be your new favorite <laughs> podcast the yeah. first the first episode is called the secret history of thoughts and it has changed my life and my way of of thinking about my thoughts um and yeah they talk about basically the the modern way of thinking in the modern day psychology is that your thoughts have very little to do with who you are and you know yeah and your thoughts rarely of all of the thoughts that you have rarely are they turned into actions and uh one of my friends phrased it like this before i heard the invisibilia episode of like imagine if you were able to hear one of your other organs like if you were able to hear your liver and like all of the functions and firings and like whatever the the functions of the liver came out as words that you were able to comprehend how fucking chaotic that would be and like nonsensical and yet our brain is this organ that's processing so much information all the time a lot of it subconsciously and a lot of it in ways that has nothing to do with like you know we're not we're not directing it and yet people are then interpreting that as like this is a reflection of who i am just seems so silly to me yeah (laughs) and also yeah man i don't i don't trust people who aren't like a little bit horrible or who don't who aren't open with the fact that they are a bit horrible. Sorika. Sorika. Banana delivery service. Yeah man. I always I always tell Trevor anytime he reveals something terrible about himself, the more I love him. I'm like I just like know you more and it makes you're like a more complete person and there's more things to love. And yeah, I just uh I I, I definitely all of my like very closest soulmate friends are the people who I can we can talk about like these horrible things about I'm like and and trust that it's not a reflection of like we're not gonna fucking murder each other just because we're like wouldn't it be like really interesting to you know yeah actually that's a particular trait that really attracts me to people when they're really honest with themselves so uh breaking a lot of social boundaries like being disgusting mm-hmm. like uh especially i think as a girl like you may have noticed this pressure sort of thing like girls can't be gross right sort of thing and i recently got into a habit of like talking about my poo with my partner he hates it like he really hates it <laughs> but i think he really hates it because i'm a girl that that's factor too because i've seen him being gross with other people 
and I, I've seen the conversations that um, most of my friendship groups have been male, so that's helped me, shape me in a certain way. But there's still, like, this pressure of, like, you know, you have to be, like, this clean, neat, kind of, like, to sell yourself as attractive, whereas guys have more room in this, like, aspect. And so it's a trait that really interests me when I'm in a group of people and somebody will just, like, pick their nose. I'm like, this isn't my kind of person <laughs> sort of thing. Or somebody is not scared about talking about um, a taboo subject. This is, like, one of my favorite things to... um discuss with people is the discussion that people really try to avoid and the certain topics um, that people I don't even think they realize are taboo in our society because they do get mentioned but in such a way that you don't really talk about it and I think for example like <clears throat> sex is one of them I think people like yeah of course we have like uh, over sexualized advertising and people are always like talking like they have good sex well, so they don't really have a real conversation about it Nobody really ever talks of just like fanny farts or like when things go wrong or, you know, your weird attraction to things. Like we have this list of like, these things are attractive. And then there's, don't really mention these because they're weird. Like everybody like giggles about them, like these fetishes and things that people avoid. And those are like instant person attraction to me. It was just like, you know how to break the rules in a really good way. I mean, if I saw somebody stabbing someone in the street, they're breaking the rules, but it's not <laughs> in a productive way. No, no. Uh, yeah. yeah, I, I they're probably really totally agree with you. They're really breaking the rules, but still. It's interesting of like, definitely, I, I feel the same way of when there's someone in the group, one of our one of our dear friends from home, Annie, definitely is like the ter- person you're describing. Um, she, uh, she's definitely not afraid to... Uh, break social norms. Break social norms in a more... yeah definitely not afraid to like get out of the boundaries of what it is to be a a girl like you're saying but she still is coming at it with like this totally like beautiful powerful feminine energy and just being like i am a divine feminine being and i'm gonna go take a shit behind the bush like (laughs) and and like that all comes through 100 percent. and uh i mean and yeah she definitely we love her because she just like talks about things and anytime there's something that like i mean when i i I just know I can go to her with stuff where it's like there will be no judgment. And we're gonna have a real conversation. Like when I, I I've asked her intensely about like what it is what it is to be uh, a female who who's interested in porn and like that whole journey and experience and like how that has impacted her sex life. And and there is no other girl who's ever been willing to speak with me about that. I mean, like some girls are like like say little bits of jokes of like the porn they've watched or maybe something of like they had to watch porn with their partner but nobody talks about it in like their personal adventures and their preferences and like how they're steering the porn ship and uh that was that was very informative and i'm so grateful for like her her conversations and, and things like that she sounds great i want to meet her yes. <laughs> i think you guys would get along yeah i definitely i have my uh group of really close friends that if I have a really good porn I will send it to them like you have to watch this it's amazing <laughs> and yeah having had like some friends in the sex industry I've had people just like I did this what do you think like just as a friendly kind of like yeah you're gonna watch me having sex but like what do you think did I do good <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah how, how yeah tell me more tell me let's delve into this what's so what is your background in sex work um so Basically, I for two and a half to three years, I did camming um, 
for people that might not know, is like webcamming. So it's basically a webcam uh, plugged into a room and then you're broadcasting either to a one-on-one or to a room full of people. Um, depending on the website that you're promoting uh, this through, there's like two main ones. Um, your income can come from people tipping, mm-hmm. uh, which is like the base thing. The, it's a bit like street performing, actually. Like you just like hey i'm here i'm gonna do this thing like maybe give me money or like you're one-on-one it's like a private and um yeah they're paying you like per minute it also seems like there's like a bit of a a a gaming aspect to it of like like do you want to unlock this treasure like you need to like you know get these points to to yeah but it's it's much more work on your side than it is for their side like at the end of the day they're just throwing money at you um <laughs> but you have to like you gotta remember that it's not just like oh i switch on uh my webcam and you know i'm young kind of thin female that i feel this sort of like there's thousands of super attractive people you're competing with them for like these people's attention and they just have to click be in your room you know like five ten seconds and if you're not entertaining them, them in, yeah. yeah in whichever way like you do that um that's actually less that I really liked about um, webcamming is very much being yourself um, for me. Mm-hmm. And this, I'm not saying this is what lots of people did. There's definitely like a stereotype so I can talk through about different girls that did same thing. But um, yeah, you have to sell something, and what sells the most is like the more you are like you. I think like yourself. It's um, interesting. I mean. There seems to be this like phenomenon that of like the 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 porn superstar that is so unhuman in a way that there's no real personality there. It's just sort of this dehumanized, sexual, hypersexualized object of a pink pussy. Yeah, and that's not that's 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 me is like a counterintuitive thing to what you were just saying, which I think is probably the more realistic view of like you probably want some sort of connection with a real person in this sort of weird viral video way that so in the it's like sex work industry the uh, you'll have like division sort of thing and like um it's kind of funny there's like discrimination in between like sex workers and things like oh i don't do that you know the the (laughs) division you know the strippers there's like um like with judgment or just yeah that there's kind of but i really think that they all fulfill a role of giving somebody who's lonely something however much interaction they kind of want so someone might really need that physical interaction so they'll go out and they'll be with the prostitute because they just need that kind of cuddle effect of it and other people just still like you know there's so much taboo about like paying for sex and the things so like they just like do it online and then there's the people that are even further away of just like, I have sexual urges and I want to see, but I don't even want to interact because like people will see me as dirty. So like they just go mm. for like the porn aspect. Yeah. And, but I really think they all just fulfill just a really basic human need to connect. And it's coming because it's live. You really are connecting with people. And I think the general view of the outside world of like the, the people that, uh, watch cam girls 
and like tip them and all those things is like this like old men who just like, sit there masturbating and like perfect type of just like oh you know this kind of grossly just throwing money at you or something it's not it's really not is people from every demographic of businessmen who are traveling around and just don't have time for people um people who have strange fetishes and they just don't know how to communicate it with people to college students um to people who have been in uh relationships and married and they have no sex life now everybody there pretty much is there to connect Mm -hmm. with somebody in in different ways it is definitely what um gets referred to as whales um in the industry it's just people that have a lot of money literally like millionaires sort of thing will just come into your room and just like bam drop in a thousand into your room just because they can and there might be like this dominance thing but still Mm. it's still about connecting sort of thing like hey i want to be noticed by you Mm-hmm. you know like give me this attention and uh, for me this like uh, experience was very much about feeling empathy uh, yeah. for people on the other side of the screen like you're not weird you're not abnormal you know you're not disgusting sort of thing. you're a real human being mm. you know with like very normal needs and you, you want to look at vagina that's great I think most people want to look at vagina we just don't talk about it yeah <laughs> Totally. A vagina, penis, or anything else that you're into. That's the kind of cool thing as well about it. Like, there is a fetish for everybody, and there's somebody willing to do that fetish for everybody. <laughs> I I have seen, like, I remember it was such, like, um, a kick to my ego sort of thing of, like, this older woman. She must have been, like, a 60s, 70s, and not was described as, like, a physically attractive person. And she wasn't doing necessarily much. I can't remember what she was doing at the time. But man, she was making more money than me. <laughs> and I remember well, just like, that's like inspirational. What? That shouldn't be a kick to the ear. That yeah, should be no, like, but it, that's going to be me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was really cool. But yeah, I love really that. Cool knowing that, you know, this person had people who were there and interested. Yeah, and then in her, and and the, your sexuality it. and femininity doesn't go away just because there are wrinkles on top of it now, you know? Yeah, like, that's people. It's beautiful. It's really nice. That is nice. Um, do you have any, do you have any judgment towards other categories of sex work? Uh, no, not at all. Um, uh, not sure particularly why, but from a young age, I had actually considered um, sex work. Uh, I just, and I really had thought it in this empathizing kind of way of just like, wait, I like sex and I like making people feel good. And I have a strong enough, like, disconnect to not um, feel, like, disgusted by it sort of thing. Yeah. Or, um, in a sense, it was just like, it's just a penis. You know, it's, it's any, you know, I get a massage by somebody. It's not really that um, that bad. And so I had considered it, uh, like, as a mental thought. Never like, oh, this isn't going to go through the process. When I was at university... Um, I was with my partner, um, and I said yes to him. I was like, "I want to do stripping," and he was like, "Please don't, like, please, please don't." And I had a great relationship with him, and I loved him so much, and so like, I didn't seek it out. But I even still had that urge, sort of thing, of just like doing it. it and it didn't feel like 
something dirty to me. To me, it was just like, hey, I'm kind of a very sexual person and I'm very okay with this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I listened to a really amazing podcast with a, uh, a prostitute in Nevada in one of the legal brothels in Nevada, Alice Little. And she was saying really similar stuff to what you were saying. I mean, she had she came from a very diverse background in terms of like activities she had pursued. Uh, I think she was a professional horseback rider before she got into prostitution. And it was all just like this of more than anything, feeling like this was her way to connect to people and make people feel less alone and valued. And that by and large, it, like most of her clients were people who you know had had reasons that they that they were coming to her like she had she dealt with a lot of virgins a lot of disabled people and like she was you know changing their life and like making them more complete people and like letting them feel you know that they weren't so ostracized or different and then maybe giving them them potential in order to make connections in in different ways going forward and uh i am i'm very curious about Whenever I hear people in the sex work industry talk about stuff like that, which is the majority of the time of being like, I want to connect and like help. Um, and I think that's so beautiful. And I wonder, it seems like you were able to be like, I, I, can, I can be whatever these people want me to be potentially, but in my own way where it's going to be like coming from a genuine place in me and I'll meet them there. And, and then I've met some other people where it is like, this is all a game and a show and a scam. And like, I'm going to get as much money as I can out of these suckers because like they are, they are sick and they are fucked up and like, and I, and I deserve to take whatever from them because they don't deserve like whatever good stuff. This and really resonates like exactly how I feel. Like I have no judgment with people using this. I have a judgment for people that do it with this mentality of like your customer is somebody that, you don't like and you're disgusted by and have you met people like this yeah i remember going to um a potluck dinner of a friend of mine um yeah he's a porn actor oh my god he's like the sweetest guy Mm -hmm. ever and then like you see he's like sexy and so like he's like a rough guy sort of thing that looks like he almost like he streets women sort of thing but like He's like so soft and dinner. He had this dinner, and so obviously there's there's a lot of different sex workers that came in. There was amazing um, people like doing dominatrix and people like doing tantra work, and then all sorts. And I remember meeting this uh, girl uh, who basically just seemed like she was had been really hurt in her life before she owned this, and she was a prostitute. And the way she talked about her customers like hurt me so much. Like, you should not be doing this job. Because to quote her, Sally is like, when I see men, I see wallets. And I was just like, so I'm like, oh my God, you're in like such a close personal space with people that, you know, are mostly just requesting to have a connection. That's putting being super vulnerable a lot of the time. I mean, that is probably one of the worst things that she said about them. Uh, but that sentence really stuck into me and she was like so disgusted by it but you could see it really came from a place of pain um uh she was a trans woman and um i think probably had been uh discriminated against in some kind of way um she would be what i describe as like non-passing as well so the things she had that anger 
on her and uh, she was of some kind of Latin or slightly darker skin tone sort of thing. So there was just a lot of anger basically there and she was just really portraying that like through her work. I mean, yeah, the the good thing about taboo things is like that's where you can actually make more money sort of thing. So if we'd like de uh, taboo sex sort of thing, like sex work won't really be that this high paying job thing anymore because it will be more open and free and this is great but it also takes away from that and so unfortunately the money aspect attracts the wrong kind of person also into it i have no issues with anyone who's just doing it for the money as long as they treat people with love and care yeah um i i have a friend a good example would be um he's a psychopath uh, is, is how I describe it, even though that term's no longer used, but he's a psychopath and he's very much uh, out to get what he wants. And especially like with girls, I've kind of seen him like, oh, he's interested, just like sleeping with somebody and leaving it. But oh my God, he has learned how to like pretend have empathy sort of thing. He's like the most caring and like warming person uh, to these girls that's just like giving, I wouldn't call it love because I feel like that's not what he's really giving but like going through the motions of like this is what i want the connection to be with you it's just wanted to be sex but i want you to feel good and safe and so like he asks about everything like he wants to do afterwards he spends time with them and like gives them like a really warm hug and like you know these forehead kisses these all lovely things and things like thank you so much for your time and we'll never call them again mm. but not in like an uh in a player sort of way it's just like this is just what he wants and it's very clear about like caring about the situation and making sure the person's fine afterwards and i i feel like that's a very good approach to it like you should go after what you want but just be careful of the other person it's just and i think obviously the sex industry is like filled with all types of people that are in it for different reasons i'm not going to deny that getting into that has some part to do with the money aspects of it mm-hmm. but um yeah i person from my perspective i i became very interested about caring about the people i i could almost say like i took a pay cut on my thing because very often i could see people on the other side of the screen were broke or they was just having a bad day and they just really needed to speak to somebody and part of you is just like hey can you like move it on i'm trying to like really sell myself here today and the other part is like man this person has been coming to my room and giving me money for a year and like today he's having a bad day i'm just gonna be there to listen huh? <laughs> this was it for me it's not like what everybody else does it like but yeah that's nice um okay so we've talked about how it's about you know caring for other people and being empathy towards other people and now i want to hear about how what sex work did for you both in terms of uh your overall um like mental esteem and also how it informed your sexuality and like made you feel sexy or not um so like i said i always had like an interest uh from like a younger age of like uh, growing this um 
And I came to it actually because I saw this girl on Tumblr just being like really playful and silly. And then I figured out what coming was. And then I researched it and I was like, I could do this. Like, this seems to like fit my personality. And so when I started, um, I had just cut my hair uh, short. And I didn't like it. It was one of you know those hairdresser moments where you go and they're like, you should really like get rid of this. It's like really bad. And you're like, okay. And then I you come out and you're you. like, oh, I regret it. So uh, when I decided I was going to do it, um, I bought this wig, super long, curly, like wavy wig. I would wear makeup. It's something not really that I do. And I was really like doll-like, really over-the-top girly trying to like sell sex and be like really cute and things and I did this for like maybe five days and like day six I was just so tired to like even think of like putting on makeup and putting on this wig and like like drained from the lack of authenticity or just like the time it takes to put on makeup um both like it it wasn't something that I was enjoying myself Mm -hmm. to kind of do and I was like really drained and I just I get I quit like after a week I quit and then I it was near Christmas time so I went on holidays with my friend and thing and I was like okay I'm gonna give it one more try and before I give it that one more try I um I discovered uh somebody who was really once they were breaking these social rules they weren't like on their campsite being super sexual like they were being gross and stupid and I was like wait a minute I could kind of do this <laughs> so I, uh, next time I decided I was like I'm going to give it a second try I logged in like face painting myself as a panda in like this onesie that completely like covered me and man that night I made more money than I'd made the previous week and I had fun and so I realized it was very much like about me and so I was very realistic uh and the sexual aspect of it, I was really happy to explore. Like the first time I ever had a private was, uh, it wasn't like scary or anything, but I'd read a lot about girls that had really bad times as private. So I was just like, okay, so you're going to try it. What did the guy want me to do? To like pretend to box at him, <laughs> like pretend like to punch him and like tense my muscles. And it was like this opening of like, oh, wow, these people have this interesting fetish and thing. like this muscles is the thing. And I had so much fun. And so I came a lot into like exploration, um, but in the way that I kind of wanted to do it. So there's a lot of feet fetishes, like feet fetishes are a really big thing. But I didn't, I didn't like my feet at the time. I really had like a feet phobia sort of thing. So I refused to do this. Oh, wow. So it made clear that things I was willing to do I was really like into exploring and doing weird things even though it might not like feel sexual um but sometimes then I found I'm like oh this is kind of sexy are these like rules that you set out just within your own mind or did you have them like posted somewhere for other people to be aware of um so normally like you make a little page telling yourself like what you particularly like other interests and things uh most of them weren't set up uh I think there's few that might have been like listed sort of thing of like no feet, just don't ask about my feet. Like, um, eventually I, I got that to be a marketing thing of like, okay, I really need to make uh, money today, guys. So I will show you my feet for like this crazy price. Like my vagina, you know, it's like, it was really cheap, but my feet are like, 
high at the top of my list because that was the thing that was weird for me. Yeah. Right? I just didn't feel confident. And it's just, in a way, it seemed really stupid about other people. Um, but I also became very aware that a lot of people um, were at different levels of like comfortableness and there's other people that don't get naked sort of thing and I I wouldn't have any problem with nudity and sexuality of it you're saying and other people who were on the cam or, or your customers uh, other people who like work okay wow uh, yeah there's, there's some people that are like top of the game and they've never gotten fully naked wow okay, it's amazing it's if you get into the market of it like yeah, there's certain ways of like doing yeah. it um hmm. And it's very exciting to like always think like this time, this time I'm gonna see nipple. Like, <laughs> oh my god, like, oh my god, did you, did you see that? I was like, all oh, the people tell the nipple is so exciting. Um, so yeah, it works. The and, best street performer I ever saw. Uh, this this ties in, I swear. <laughs> on Venice Beach, <laughs> what was, nipple did you see? <laughs> was this guy who had this sheet filled with broken beer bottles in a chair, and he would get on top of the chair and he would say. I just need this amount of money and I'll jump on top of these broken beer bottles. <laughs> Never jumped on the broken beer yeah, bottles, yeah. but damn if he didn't walk away with a shit ton of money. Yeah. Yeah, there's really great ways of like selling yourself. Um, and yeah, so for me, like this wasn't a boundary. I had no problem with like getting naked and just like uh, doing weird things. But I also, even though it kind of shaped me into like being more open-minded and more accepting of other people, I had already a really good background of like partners who had really built a lot of like sexual confidence in me like I only became like really grateful for this when I started talking to other girls about like their sexual history and things like yeah well you know my boyfriend used to say I'm a bit too fat or like my boyfriend used to say like uh he didn't really like this about me and I was like have I just been like really privileged in a way of just like <laughs> I've only just had like build up with people and like I feel really confident with sex which i think you kind of have to be if you go into this industry because I at don't, the same time, you, have you met people who go into it because they're so insecure and they're looking to build that confidence um not necessarily met people but it's it's very common trait of people who are insecure and i have seen girls break down because you know they're just insecure and there's people specifically also from the other side you know it's not just like um, can girls sometimes like using the members if members like using uh, girls this trolls um, and I say this a little bit with a smile on my face is what they do is really really horrible uh, they literally just go from room to room saying whatever they can uh, to like break that girl's confidence so they're just like how can you sh show your boob with that mole underneath of it or just like oh man that vagina looks messed up you know like do you think they're doing this for to get off or do you think they're doing it it's just a general internet troll just sort of thing like troll, let's troll, just get a troll. reaction out of this and i mean i still think that that's looking coming from a place of wanting to be seen and connect like i'm gonna get your attention i'm gonna make an impact you're gonna remember me you're gonna have all these like hundreds of guys today fawning over you and jerking off to you but you're not gonna think about them when you go to sleep tonight you're gonna think about me and the shit i said to you that got in your head yeah maybe it really that comes from that uh and actually or when you know, I said I say this is one of my face is because I realized I had like a really uh, a strong I don't know what to really call it um, 
yeah, I've completely lost the word of like, basically people would just come into my room and do this trolling thing and I would troll back. Nice. So this that was, was fine for me because I had a strong enough like character of just like, I've won so many people that eventually like paid me and stuff that came in as trolling. Uh, I made friends like <laughs> I, I have somebody who's now like a really good friend. I was like texting with him yesterday from this industry that came into my room to like make me feel bad originally and like turn it around. And this was fine for me because of my character and I felt confident in this like sexual scenario and I didn't care whatever they said that my butthole looked weird. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I've seen it ruin so many people so so many people and yeah what is this person like i mean i'm trying to imagine what kind of individual you know wakes up and says you know what i'm gonna do today i'm gonna break down as many women as possible who are putting themselves out there so i kind of see a little bit the funny side to it um have you asked him these questions now that you're friends like how uh we didn't have a conversation about it originally but it's because people break really easily um so i think of it in terms of like reddit and things when somebody like posts a story that's just gonna make a lot of people angry and just like getting this reaction when it's very obviously like a fake story sort of thing Mm. like it it gives you like this sense of power and also laughing at other people for like taking it so seriously um Mm. it's like focus on i i can kind of see like the funny aspect um in a way, I, I think it lacks empathy on that person's side. And I think most people's intention, even though I may have described it wrong, that to kind of do troll, is not to make the girl kind of cry, but just like, you know, there's this girl that has so much power right now in the yeah. room. It's like, let's take it away a little bit from her. Let's make her a little bit angry. Main thing I saw is just girls getting really angry and like, you can ban people and things from your room. And so if you make this person that's currently making probably more money than you sort of thing like have a breakdown just get pissed off at you and lose their core and the show sort of thing you feel some kind of sense of like empowerment of it because you're angry at the situation that they're capable of doing this and not you and i've seen it in girls rooms of people i didn't like and i also remember feeling that of just like damn somebody like finally knocked them down a bit because this is really common trait in cam girls of having this built-up ego of importance you're the center of attention with hundreds of people watching you and everything that comes out of your words is god's words like people they're just like <laughs> loving you oh you're amazing you're so caring you're so beautiful like it's just constant compliments and I have seen people like grow to build up their ego more and more to really think like what they're doing is is super important. You know, they are. Super Isn't that important. a good thing though? Like, why I can't? Why would you want to take that away from someone? Um, I think there's a nice different um between like being confident and arrogance, mm. and I think yeah. it's very easy line to cross. Yeah, and I I really don't like arrogance. I think arrogance is thinking like you're above people. Like confidence is like knowing you're at the same height as them. Yeah, especially when arrogance is completely not deserved. 
it definitely sort of triggers this urge to be like, oh, really? <laughs> like, which is not very empathetic at its core because yeah. arrogance is generally rooted in like insecurity and, yeah. Yeah. and, and it's definitely not the right way to go. But I've been trying to think about like times where I've been tempted on things like Reddit to be like a bit trollish in my response. And it's always been like, look at you try, like, you're probably a 12 year old there who thinks what they're saying is fucking wise, but really you're just a moron. Like, yeah. And it's going like, you know, that's, that's not something I want to put out into the universe. It's not helping anybody. Just chill. It's Reddit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the, the stereotype that I'm thinking of this type of Karen girl that, you know, gets very much into believing that everything they're doing is really important and they're really amazing and people aren't appreciating uh, so much. Often very much actually shits on the people that are paying her rent it's, it's really amazing they're just like there's so many people coming into a room and just like watching for free and they just don't get all the work that i'm putting in yeah it's hard work it's entertainment business more than anything yeah uh but maybe some of the people are making less than you like top cam girls you know are making hundred thousand easily like it's ridiculous how much you're able to make and in such a short amount of time. how much can you make on like a um, I can't remember the 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 top girls, but like millions a year. What about more like average? With the average person who might want to do it ab- to get into and actually. So expect. I have a friend who's like done like research on this, and the average is about twenty five dollars an hour. Not bad. This is good, and then but this is not like a constant sort of thing. You have yeah. your shit days and you have your good days. Yeah. Is that taxed? <laughs> uh, so in the U.S., yes. It really oh, yeah. is. Uh, is um, is that like with a U.S. bank account, or if you're doing it from Thailand? The rules so yeah, apply. this is how you kind of get around it. Um, there's two main sites. Um, I I feel like can I talk about this? It's like the legal things, you know, on the recorded. It's okay, nobody can find me. Two main sites are the top sites that girls use is My Free Cams and Chatterbait, and they're both U.S. based. Um, uh, my free cams will not uh, let you cash out unless you have a U.S. Uh, bank account. Oh wow, uh, that's very interesting. There. At least it was when I, I joined. But basically, you have to do your taxes because it's it very clearly goes through like as an income thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chatterbait, the one I was using for being European, like it was not coming in as a, like. A payment uh, from a job, mm-hmm. so I was getting money into my account, but there was no way of like uh, the Spanish government knowing that this was a job sort of thing. It was just like this random money yeah. coming in. So, but I've heard like it's really important in the U.S. to do your taxes. You have to do your own taxes. Yeah, you're but a freelancer. Really but yeah, it's very yeah. It sounds like a nightmare. I wonder why they. It's interesting. You have to have a U.S. bank account. I wonder if that's about taxes or if that's about the more shady aspect of where camming could go in terms of. I mean, there is that shady aspect. I've also seen what you call studios. Basically, someone sets up a studio and they just have girls that come in and work and stuff. And it's so sad because it's very much using the the weaker um, 
countries and people yeah, that and really need it. So you see a lot of Latinos, you see a lot of like um, Asian groups of girls, really young, um, mm. just like yeah, trying to sell themselves, like totally sexually, not being into, not even being able to speak the language. And somebody else is running the camera and running the show and telling them like what to do. And what's even saddest is like they really don't make a lot of money because they don't really actually realize that you have to entertain. It's not just like, hey, I'm here naked. You people are gonna throw money at you. There's also a hundred thousand other girls who are there naked. You have to right. And there's also free porn where there's yeah. no stakes. So people come gamming to the thing for that kind of like connection aspect of like. It's kind of like a video game in that sense of like you're you're playing with your pawn. You can kind of decide what your pawn does in the thing. Yeah, there's a lot of topics in like things like okay, so if we reach my goal today, we have a shower show. Uh, if we reach my goal today, we do double penetration. Like you get to choose where the thing goes. Yeah, and so these like studios and the thing that can't even speak the language, it just doesn't. They don't really make very much. And yeah, it's, it's really sad to see, but in every industry, you're always going to have the exploitation aspect. Yeah. Have you ever seen the show Firefly? Yes. You know, uh, for viewers who haven't seen it, there's a uh, position, a work, oh, how would you, there's a job called, um, Companion, companion. Yes. Uh, where there's there's sort of two forms of prostitution. One that sort of prostitution that we might look at in today, and then there's you can be a companion, which is sort of like a a governmentally certified prostitute who is revered for their practice and and really sort of a, a, a very high figure in terms of their. Am I saying? They're like very respected and yeah. esteemed members of society, and like they in Firefly, their ship gains aspect gains access to all of these places that it wouldn't otherwise because they have a companion on board, and that's such a respected position that they're allow they're granted access to many more things, pay people, places. Um, and what's like? There's a modern day equivalent of like you know what's it called for somebody who it's not just about the sex like it's about dates escort escort yeah yeah but it's just a code word I feel like most escorts also are still just uh, about the sex yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. most definitely yeah there was like a uh, you see all these movies I'm so naive about like the ins and outs of this stuff but you see movies where it's like someone goes to hire an escort you know usually it's like a scenario of they got invited to their ex's wedding or something and they don't want to arrive alone but they can't like pull it together to get a real date or whatever yeah but and then they end up falling in love and it's uh the person still paying for this is still paying like i'm still gonna get sex at the end of the night right yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah come up and it be my date i uh i have a friend who's uh recently studying escorting but i love the way that she approaches she's like i'm hoeing uh-huh. like, you know escorting is like how it sells on the website and things like but i'm hoeing yeah it's the same thing it's just like uh labels that have certain connotations so if you describe yourself as an escort there's almost a little bit more respect from society sort of thing from you and you call yourself a hoe or a prostitute you know even though you're basically doing the same job it's just yeah there's not really like job categories 
What was okay? What was? Do you remember what was the website our friend told us about that she was doing a couple of years ago, where it was essentially like a similar system to camming, but in real life, where it was like uh, you pay for this and then you can level up, and you pay for this and you can level up, and it was like going on dates, and it was like to get to take me out to drinks, it's this much money to get to buy me dinner, it's this much money oh, to so get to like kiss a, me, it's this much money, and like so on, and that sugar daddy. You, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, uh, that and that was. Yeah, I think that was the name of the website, and uh, yeah, uh, that was really interesting, and and and, and that seems that seems cool <laughs> that that both parties can kind of like you know keep evaluating it at every step before going all in, and like have lots of opportunities to back out. And she said, you know, the majority of the times she didn't have sex. <laughs> like a lot of the times, yeah. it was like, you know, do we believe her? <laughs> um, I believe her. I don't know if she would lie. Well. It's very common, uh, at least I say it's very common. It's once again one of the things I don't really get talked about, sort of thing. But um, through the camera industry, I met a lot of people like in sex work, sort of thing. And like sugar daddy is something that lots of people have considered, and it gets looked really bad because usually it has a stereotype of the, like this older rich man trying to get like this younger girl, sort of thing. I'm like, but what's wrong if you just want to sell your company, like? you sell your hard labor you sell your physical work when like you're building a house you know you sell your intellectual self when you're uh, a scientist anything you're selling yourself sort of thing yeah so what's wrong with selling your time in a different way yeah and i very much believe that the reason why the laws about prostitution are the way that they are is a holdover um, and by and, laws about prostitution, you mean it's illegal? Yes, in most countries. Uh, um, actually, in most Europe, it's not illegal. Is that uh, true? This, yeah, so in the States, nice. it is. Um, I did Except research for on Nevada. this. Uh, Nevada, it is or it's not? Nevada is the only state where prostitution is legal, but it is not legal in Vegas County. Oh, okay. So uh, in Europe, it works a different way. Prostitution is legal, but there's certain um, uh, things around it. So... Depending on the country, uh, Germany, you're allowed brothels. Uh, most other European uh, countries, uh, I'm thinking of like uh, more Western European. I'm not really sure about Eastern mm -hmm. Europe about these things. But at least the countries I have lived, I did some research on it. Uh, and you can basically, you can be a prostitute. This is not a problem, but you can't do it on the street. Like you can't sell yourself on the street and you can't online advertise so, think, so what do you do yeah, I, think it's, I mean yeah they just make it difficult but the actual act of like being a prostitute is not actually legal like that's change for oh. sex uh so this is why people sell themselves as escorts you mm -hmm. hire me for my time you don't talk about the sex thing on paper uh, uh i don't know how i feel about that i mean i think that so what I was going to say is that I think that the, the laws, especially at least in the United States now, are sort of a holdover from this misogynistic idea of how to control women and sort of cut off a reasonable source of income for them so that they become more dependent upon males. You know, it's the oldest profession, quote unquote, that, you know, is a way to stop this way from a single woman becoming a financially independent. It seemed really prudent to make prostitution illegal and it's hold over from that so i think a lot of these ideas sort of stem from this way of depowering women and i wonder what saying not being able to advertise online how that would affect it i mean that to me means you need to have like a brick and mortar place where you're advertising at least like 
this is a brothel. We're not advertising sex, but you know you can go there to get it, which then creates a barrier to entry into the profession because you need to have the initial investment of how do you make yourself known in the business? Probably going to be like a brothel type scenario. Who's actually making money off of that then? I'd, I'd be really curious to see how the, exactly the business is run because I think that one of the things that when we move to a more progressive view about this and we legalize it is it should be how to keep people in the industry safe and how to make it as, as beneficial to them as possible. Uh, everybody is possible. I think I wouldn't agree with your first view of like is depowering women, even though it could really fit uh, because uh, back in the olden days, they say little Wild West types, uh, madams were actually incredibly powerful yeah. in towns and sort of thing. They, I mean, they had access to so many people. Madams is the, like the brothel owner, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, and they were making good money. So they had that powerful position sort of thing and they were getting so much information from people like they were getting to. So they were just almost like a respected member of society sort of thing for being in this powerful position. So it could fit from that sort of thing of like taking away. But I think actually the more genuine reason why prostitution is religion is this idea of purity. Mm. Uh, you know, like... Well, I think that religion was a tool that was peddled as the reason for making it illegal but i think that if you look at like they're like oh this is this is immoral mm -hmm. and you have to have a a higher hierarchy to appeal to to say this is why this is immoral so you just say it's immoral because you're a christian we're going to make it illegal because it goes against christianity but really it's not about christianity it's about the fact that you don't want women to have an income so that you can subjugate them Ah. So it's more like the religion was the middleman that was the method of like like just like I mean this this is this is a tactic I think that is more widespread than just prostitution. Yeah, I mean, religion's often the middleman for oppression. Yeah, which unfortunately, because you know, religion can be good in a lot mm -hmm. of ways if it's practiced correctly, but it more often turns into just a tool to implement really kind of fucked up policies right. <laughs> on a much broader way than they would have ever been able to do just on their own. I'm still on the edge of thinking it's not uh, taking power away from women. I, at least I have this anti-feminist kind of view of just like, there's no really such thing as like the patriarchy that of this close group that wanted to take power away from women. I think there's just this group of people that want power and they just want to take away power from anyone that it is. And in this case, yeah, it, it was kind of like women, but the same... Um, I like, like that drug distinction. Laws and I think things. that makes a whole lot of sense. I think that's that's worthy. I don't because I, I think that that yeah, when you create a, a a polarity between like men opposing women, yeah, I think that does sort of dampen the picture a bit because it's not really that. I think it's a really important distinction to make. It's 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 people who want power taking yeah. power in a way that they can take power from yeah. whom they can. And this this is an unfortunate circumstance where it happens to kind of polarize itself a little bit, but that's also not true because now you have men in the sex work industry as well who are also. I think now I think you've always kind of always. had a sort of yeah, that's very yeah. true. But I, very I think true. this is actually an area where women really have more power because as a female, if you're not aware that you can walk out every night and get laid, and this is a powerful tool that you can use to, you know, to help you and benefit you, and in a way. It's also something that men just don't have because in the same kind of way, if you're a male and you go out and try to get laid, you will get labeled, you know, it's like being a creep or like 
uh, a sex pervert or something of just like, oh my god, they just kind of want my body. If it's your female, just it's now very liberating and sort of thing for the same thing that men don't have easy access to. So, yeah, it's mainly female industry because we can. As in, yeah, okay, we do have more power, but um, I don't think it's really against females in particular sort of thing. It's against just anybody who, in a way, you're making. No, becoming sort of being a prostitution, you're making money out of the tax system, and this gives you a sense of like power, you know, in a way. And anytime there's desire, no matter where it's coming from, that creates a power structure. You know, whether it's desire for oil or desire for sex, it's the same thing, and it's going to be structured and then exploited to some extent. You know, whether it's for taxes to build roads, it's being exploited for, or. It's for other more nefarious purposes. You know, yeah. Power is power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And I, I do think there's still among the what people I would call like normies, sort of thing that uh, in the main culture, this purification idea, sort of thing, like it's not really pure. But even, doesn't matter if you're male or female, even though it's like slightly different views, to be very sexual. It's just something that's like should be kept behind us all. We just don't talk about it, and it is seen as something dirty, sort of thing. Even though we all kind of do it, it's still like people don't want to talk about uh, sexual problems they have with their neighbor. It's just you know, don't talk to me about going to the toilet. Don't talk to me about sex. Mm-hmm. You know, the both things that we do, but we just don't need to talk about it. Let's avoid it. And so it's just seen as like there's this lower form of making a living. And so once you like label like, oh, that's bad in some kind of sense, you know, it's immoral, is not purified sort of thing. Then you have like this easy access of being like, well, you know, lots of people are suffering because of it. Um, so we're actually doing it to help people. Yeah. And we make these laws against it. That's the that's the funny thing. I think I think that I think that the conversation's changed since in my lifetime around this. Like I think that when I was much younger and sort of just learning about these topics, the conversation would have been like sex work is more about like like why sex work is bad is because it exploits women. Mm-hmm. And I think that's extremely narrow. I'm not saying that does not occur because it mm-hmm. does. But it occurs in every industry. Every industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, that a far more accurate approach would be that sex work, making it legal at least, would empower the people that are in that business. And keep them safe. And keep, like, yeah. I mean, empower everybody. Like, And I think that, that, that society is starting to come around to the latter point of view. But I think it started at least. I mean, I, I, do you feel this way that, that 10, 15 years ago, the, the more commonly held argument would have been sex work is detrimental to women's rights yeah definitely that like i mean yeah i feel like the narrative that was being proposed to me probably up until i was in college so up until up until the obama era in america was certainly like women women are almost always tricked into going into sex work industry like either either tricked like you know whatever mental games or something or like 
sex slaves and and like brought forcefully into this industry like no woman ever no healthy woman healthy in mind ever goes into this on purpose it's only ever the industry or men or women somebody with more power forcing them into this in one way or another and if we do anything to enable this allow it that we are contributing to the detriment of these poor poor women and yeah and i think since since college since or i don't know if that was like the my age or a shift in the in the national conversation but i definitely feel like around whatever around 2010 or something that there started being a lot more conversations about more than anything what i was hearing was about prostitution's always going to happen always no Mm. matter what making it illegal all that does is make it unsafe for women and yeah and making it legal provides safety for all parties involved and what could be more important than that but this is my uh, yeah i just don't understand even that i feel like it's only half the battle though because there's still that underlying tone of like these people are broken in some sort of way that drove them to this profession and i don't think that's a really strange narrative to pin over an entire industry like yeah yeah like yeah 100 percent of the people in this career are are identical in mind and spirit so i actually have some information about this um it is an amazing correlation with people that have had sexual trauma that ended up in the sexual industry it's not just a cliche it really is a kind of thing but i think people are looking at it in the wrong way of oh, this person had X thing bad happen in their life and now they have turned to sex work. I'm like, what if X thing made them get over this kind of like tabooness and this like wrongness of like separating ourselves from our sexual self um, and then realize it's like, hey, it's just my body. You know, sex doesn't have to be like the sacred love act that, you know, religion has painted going back to this purity thing. Uh, what if I can just use my body to get myself out of a situation? And I think people have this horrible view of like, you know, the prostitute who's just like a single mom, has two kids and like for them, they have to go out and like sell their body even though they want to. But why don't they have the same view of the same scenario of the person who's cleaning, like yeah. cleaning toilets sort of thing? Definitely. or the person who's having to work like four jobs, you know, like just to keep a living. I was like, they're still selling the, what, their soul in a certain way. It's just, we view this as like, still like a dirty act. Right. And I think that's like the, the problem really that comes down to it. It's just like, yeah, you might turn to it because you're in a difficult situation or because you had this sexual, um, uh, experience that was kind of negative and now you have a different relationship with sex than the average person but I think it's a way of breaking the barrier yeah um, and it seems like a lot of times that's even like reversing and reclaiming your sexual power like if you had trauma as a kid mm-hmm. and then as an adult you I mean my favorite movie of all time is a French movie I have a, no French accent whatsoever Les Noms des Gens have you heard no, of it? No I have not it's, uh, uh, it is uh, the basic plot is this girl was molested as a child and as she and then shortly there as she like hits puberty becomes incredibly sexual and then like by the time she's a late teenager she's like well statistics say I have two choices I could become a pedophile or I could become a whore I choose whore and then she chooses this as like um, and this is very empowering yeah and then she it's a but beyond that 
It's this whole adventure of pushing her political agenda that she believes that like she can turn men because they're at their most vulnerable and susceptible points like during sex and especially right before climax that then she can like tell them her political agenda right as they're about to come and that she has this incredible sex rate of taking of turning all of these people who she deemed as fascists and bringing them over to her liberal agenda and like making serious political change by using her pussy <laughs> yeah you totally saw me this i mean i love french this movies it's anyway. my favorite movie okay just write this down for me but and afterwards. then of, and then she she uh falls in love <laughs> so very no but i think it's a i think it's a really well done nuanced balanced love story of kind of like yeah and, and definitely is painting that there is there's that love and sex are not synonymous in the slightest because then she's like having this partner who who's older and comes from a much more like puritanical well he's jewish but comes from a much more whatever strict square background and and how her incredible liberal young self merges with his old (laughs) what a square self and the beautiful love that comes from that i think it's a good point because i think that all too often from both sides of the aisle when we have conversations of this nature we tend to sort of just take one stance and it's really a multitude of of all scenarios like everyone listened to last week's episode with wes or two weeks ago and uh hear all about finding the shades of gray in the black and white because it is shades of gray because you know there there is because it's a power thing there's always going to be exploitation and that's not like you have to acknowledge that when you're talking about because really what the conversation should be is how do we organize this in a way that benefits the public and the individual's to its fullest extent and you have to acknowledge all the different aspects of it that sometimes abuse does lead to this undervaluing of the self that then creates a vulnerable person that can be exploited by this industry that that has happened and continues to happen but that's not to say that that's everybody or that it needs to lead to that you know i think uh for example a lot of people who are like care workers or this sort of thing have come from a broken family and like they turn this, you know, this experience that they had into something. Yeah. But it's just when the ter- conversations turns to sex, sort of thing. Like, oh, you're selling sex is sacred, like love act, and this has a lot of blame on like the romanticism era, sort of thing of like we just painted, um, the world of like you should just meet your one perfect partner sort of thing and they should be everything for you and like sex is just an act between two people who are in love right. it's way more than that you know it's, just, it's like a game it's like playing tennis or like doing your gardening it's, it's got all these kind of aspects you know there's like nudity without it being sexuality there's like uh the love aspect of being with somebody without it being sexual there's there's all these different layers to it and we're just looking at this one layer of just like if you're having sex and it's not out of love like you're doing it wrong you're doing it really really wrong and you should not be using your body to make somebody else's body only feel good right physically i get where people are this are coming from more talk about people people just want a connection like if they want a real connection but i think they miss the point of like having really good just purely sexual energy with somebody is still a connection you know just because you don't want to like hang out the rest of the day with that person yeah you know like if you're both on the same level i think that's really fair and really good i agree it's i think part of it is getting on the same level you have to own your own sexuality you have to understand who you are and then you can you can set your own boundaries for what you accept 
to happen to you and what you're willing to put out there as well. And, yeah. And by making it taboo and by making it this evil act, you dampen the person's ability to do that. Like we talk a lot about like a woman's how you in order to empower a woman to say no to sex, you also need to empower them to say yes to sex. Yep. So it gets really tricky, like, you know, from a lot of parents coming up in this society is like how do you teach your daughter in particular mm -hmm. about sex is you know like people are going to exploit you for it people are going to use you for it is like the general narrative that seems to be taught today at least in the states and it seems to me at least that it's 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 kind of folly to not couple that with you also have the right to choose to say yes and to say no. Yeah, to empowering someone. is the choice. Yeah, it's, it's not. You, can't the, you it only have one choice. It's not a yeah, choice. It, exactly. Um, I find this a lot with uh, the Me Too movement. It's very problematic in my. Well, I see it totally comes from a good place, a good intention, trying to give a voice to those people that have. Have you listened? How many of the episodes of this podcast have you listened to? <laughs> Me Too <laughs> movement too is like our favorite <laughs> topic. We get for very. I mean, this is part of all. I'm like, these are my people. Like, I can I get them. Um, and yeah, I actually um, had a really like reaction of like negative. Uh, uh, dislike of the Me Too movement because it painted a lot of people as like women and it painted a lot of like uh, men as like you're doing the wrong thing finger pointed sort of thing and it's like wait a minute like you're almost expecting uh, men in the, the people being accused here to just be like mind readers and understand yeah. like what the thing and you're not actually teaching uh, females in this instance like how to communicate I think hey, both parties uh. need to thing but like I think it's way more useful rather than teach people like, oh, this thing that happened to you is bad. It's like, okay, you need to communicate what you want to yes. actually happen to you. So it's not about just like that the person should know. It's about you being able to say no, yes, whatever. Like, oh, I said yes and now I'm saying no. Like, it's so important. And especially with the Me Too movement, I had like a huge problem that it gave this victim mentality to so many people. Yes. I saw so many posts from people that I care about just being like, oh, this man totally like touched my butt on the bus. And, I, and I'm thinking, I'm like, and you didn't turn around and be like, don't do that. Yeah. Like this person's doing it because they want to and they're like selfish or whatever. But you also didn't tell them. Uh, I've had a few stances where um, I've been like in difficult scenarios and I really stood my ground and that helped so much. Uh, one of them, I was getting like uh, followed by somebody like late at night. Um, I was alone in the session and I could like really tell. And yeah. what helped was like making eye contact and be like, what do you want? Like, and then this person like, whoa, what happened? I wow. recently met this amazing girl who explained to me like when uh, she felt threatened by somebody like, she was spit. And once again, it, it fits this, like, oh, girls do spit. It's so disgusting. But it's so shocking and sort of thing of just, like, this girl, like, spitting at you, like, get away from me sort yeah. of thing. Like, you're communicating of, like, what you're doing is making me feel uncomfortable. Don't do it. Yeah. But many people in this scenario, they'll just be like, oh, okay, quick, run away, go home, complain about it to my friends. And, like, yeah. you need to act on it. If you didn't like it, how... These are maybe more extreme scenarios of like being followed and sort of thing, but just 
being in a group of friends and somebody uh, makes a comment that you don't like, sort of thing, like, talk about it with that person with empathy. You know, like, how they're supposed to know that, mm-hmm. you know, you had a grandfather that went through this particular thing that you just mentioned. Right. Like, how they're supposed to know. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, the communication on all sides just seems like the answer to pretty much like all problems. <laughs> but I'm also and really interested in the shades of gray in, in the Me Too movement or like just, I don't know, equality in general of like the example of someone touching your butt on the bus. Like that has happened to me way more times than I could even begin to count or think of. And like, I'm not allowed to say I don't care. And like that didn't emotionally impact me. I don't feel I don't feel traumatized. I don't feel fucked up. I don't feel angry. I don't feel turned on like that was a neutral, regular experience. And like, but yeah, you're really, really not allowed to say that. I mean, like that there's now it feels that feels anti-feminist. That feels like I don't support women because because I've, I've been shouted this a lot sort of thing of just like how could you fight for the other side right. and uh, wolf whistling is also a topic that gets uh, like shitted on a lot sort of thing I was just like men should not do this hey what about the people that like it you know like you're walking down the street and suddenly like says something in the sexy and you feel good about your day it's actually very common in Latin American culture yeah. when women like this and their voices cannot be heard because these other people are upset about it like yeah. any action it's not a one size fits all thing yeah and you shouldn't deem things as bad in one of your other podcasts you very much talk about this idea of like nothing is inherently good or bad you know it's just like in the scenario and with this perspective of the eyes of the viewer yeah sometimes it's okay to Make great jokes. And I know as horrible as it sounds, but it is. No, and the group yes, of friends, of I think, is you're allowed to... And yeah, it might hurt somebody. But how you know it's going to hurt somebody if that person doesn't put the voice and be like, hey, I'm not okay with it. And then you have the empathy and the respect for them, Like, okay, I'm not going to do that now. Or also, even more, like, explore that. Go deeper. Like, why aren't you okay with that? Like, what exactly about something, you know you know you can tell my intention like you know me as a person yeah i'm making this joke because like because we because it's not appropriate to just like have serious conversations about rape all the time but like maybe it's something i'm thinking about and it's something like i want to connect with you guys about and bring up and have it be something that isn't so taboo that we can never discuss it and does it have to be that every time we talk about rape that it is nothing but devastating trauma and and detriment and damage like can it sometimes be like so this is really interesting uh study uh basically there's a tribe somewhere in africa like really primitive stereotypical that you can imagine where rape is a normal occurrence Mm -hmm. it happens all the time like we're walking down the street it might happen like two three times a day um and what has been uh studied and taken from this is women in the society aren't traumatized by it because of the the narrative that's painted about it, this is a normal thing that happens. So actually, rape does not equal trauma sort of thing. It, it is, it's really like, it's the other podcast I was listening to, you know, this idea of like trauma, it I think really comes from society telling you this thing shouldn't have happened to you. And then you're like, wait, what? And you have to be damaged if it does. Yeah, exactly. Why? I think most people... Uh, let's say in our community here that have this kind of mentality like you grow from the 
you know the biggest pain you've had in your life mm-hmm. sort of thing like you become something else because you went through this process so it doesn't have to be trauma as something like yeah of course it changes you and like your relationship with x thing but it doesn't have to be negative change well so we all like things to go according to plan <laughs> and it's when things don't go according to plan that we become traumatized from them. So if rape is according to the plan, then you're not traumatized from it. The problem is, though, is, you know, not too long ago, say 30, 40 years ago, pinching a girl's ass was commonplace and the plan. It was probably less traumatizing then, but no long, no more the correct. When did it yes. start becoming traumatizing? I'm pretty sure when I was in college, when you like, stopped going making bars... it according to the plan. <laughs> and that was probably pretty recently. But then it becomes this sort of like you know, step work process of, well, if you change the plan, then you create a scenario for an event to become more traumatic. But is it still worth it to change the plan? Like, because it's not, I, I don't want any of our words to be misconstrued that we should be normalizing rape or normalizing sexual assault in t- form of grabbing women's ass mm-hmm. on the bus. Or telling you that you're not allowed to be traumatized by it. Yeah, and that, like, so it's, yeah. it's how do you, how do you create... You have to create a like, space of, like, your feelings are valid, but they're not everybody's feelings. Yeah, and there's no mandatory response. There's I, nothing expected from you now. I remember this, um, this experience when I was young. I just doing childish thing. I don't know, my grandma calling me over, and she's like, watch this. And, like, there was a film on TV, and the the scene was basically some young teenagers raping this other, uh, this girl. And my grandma kind of showing this, and I was definitely too young to, like, understand it, but it was uncomfortable, and it, I can't remember her words, but it was, like, kind of warning, like, be careful of this. And I remember, like, thinking, like, okay, this is uncomfortable, and this is, like, something that bad that happens. But later on, years later, thinking about it, of like, hey, I've been conditioned of like, this is a really terrible, worst thing that can happen mm-hmm. to you. Like, be careful about it. And it's only through like self-assessment and development of thinking. Um, actually, I'm gonna share a personal story. I had an experience not actually that long ago where somebody physically uh, tried to abuse me. I had to be like physically fight them. And I remember my thought in that moment, which is very similar to my analysis that I previously had of like watching the rape scene. It's like, it's only a dick. Like, what's actually going to happen is no worse than somebody like punching me in the face or somebody like calling me names and emotionally hurting. And like, the trauma part of it was going to be like how people reacted to yes. it afterwards or like this horrible thing. But in the moment in time, it was just very much like, it's just going to be a dick. Like, I've done this millions of times out of choice before. So the physical thing itself is not the bad thing. It's how I then kind of view it. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's something that people don't really have room to really like access sort of thing of like, you're allowed to have any kinds of emotions. And it's like, no, this is bad. This shouldn't have happened to you. Yes, but it did happen. Now, how do we process it? Yeah. Like, what do you personally need? Like, it, some people, yeah, might need a lot of therapy and a person through, and some people m- 
might just like need space. I think it's the the problem that we kind of have now, sort of thing. As soon as like somebody tells you something that's bad, imagine taking away from the social context. Um, you say my mother's dying, and suddenly people's reactions like, "Oh no, that's so terrible." But wait a minute, you don't know about my mother. Do you know that she was abusive? I'm so glad to finally get rid of this <laughs> sort of thing. It's like you're already painted on this narrative. Yeah. Like, you don't get the choice of like living it because society has already decided of like what your reaction is going to be. Yeah, exactly. And you can't get out of that box because if you do, then like we don't want to hear about yeah. it. You're only allowed to have the reaction that we have deemed that you're supposed to have. And I think this happens a lot with like uh, maybe like child abuse and things. Children don't feel like they can talk about it because it's already been labeled as, you know, the worst thing that can happen to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And so this is, I think, uh, it comes up a lot of interviews and things like people like, well, I thought like it was this bad thing. Yeah. You know, like it shouldn't happen. Right. So that I did bad. Another one of our very favorite podcasts is uh, Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert. And he speaks openly. He was molested as a child. And he was in a situation, I think, you know, he was around nine or 10 or whatever. And it was by an older neighbor. And it was that this neighbor had promised him a skateboard. Like he had a skateboard or a bike or something, some like nice toy Mm -hmm. that he was going to get if he, you know, went along with, you know, their their afternoon playtime or whatever and didn't tell anybody about it. Then he was going to get this prize. So he talks about, you know, like a lot of times a huge percentage of the time like domestic violence and and most rape is not by strangers in the park most rape is in is it's in a yeah. domestic abuse situation and that a lot of the time it's that the victim or whatever the rapey uh, <laughs> is wanting something out of that situation it's not a one-sided thing where just the rapist is taking 100 percent and that there's nothing, there's no give and take. Like a lot of times somebody's staying in an abusive situation or getting raped or like whatever because because there's something there that they want. And the shame of that, of knowing like the, at least to, to a small bit of something like small like a skateboard or something intense like, you know, a, a loving relationship that has its good parts and like he only hits me when he drinks and like this isn't what he's normally like and stuff like that of being like there's so much good and there's so much love or at least, you know, that's what it feels like. And and to just dismiss that as, you know, a, a completely, again, black and white issue. Um, but yeah, that people are, are afraid to talk about it, especially as uh, in, in things of child abuse, because because there might be something that you're getting out of it and you could have, if, if it was truly one-sided, maybe you would have taken some slightly different actions and stood up against it. But because he wanted that skateboard, yeah. you know, he was kind of like sticking it out and being <laughs> like, this kind of, I know I don't like this, but I really want that skateboard. Yeah. And like, I don't understand what's happening enough to know like, you know, that, that this probably isn't worth the skateboard, but he, he didn't tell anybody and, and he was, he wanted that skateboard. I think this is huge contradiction also in society of like, Adults do things to children all the time that are terrible. But, like, sex is the most terrible one, apparently. But, you know, we also think it's really okay to, like, physically hit the most vulnerable people, you know, that exist in the thing, to, like, mentally abuse them, to force them things that they don't want to do. I, I think this is, like, the really simple concept of, like, forcing this kid to eat this vegetable that he really hates yeah i mean like there's some like good aspect wanting to come from it like you need your kid to eat vegetables 
But man, if they really just fucking hate peace and you just force them, this is also traumatizing. But is it? Oh no, society doesn't think it's traumatizing. We haven't got to the level of assessing whether it's good to like force children to like eat the worst vegetables. The evidence of that. I think we see the evidence of that trauma all over the place in unhealthy eating habits. Yeah, man. Like, yeah. I think that there's that's that's a, that's a visceral trauma that you're you're. I mean, you are experienced like. I remember gagging on asparagus. You know, this is the most nasty. I now like asparagus for the record, but like, you know, my parents never forced me to eat it, but they were kind of, I think like, I mean, I guess they kind of did because they were like, you have to try it at least, yeah. you know? And I was like, no, it's terrible. Uh, but I think that that absolutely leads to a, a whole lot of trauma that has a whole, a huge negative impact on our society, especially in the States with our obesity rates. Like, talk about, you know, think about the, the fiscal side of that too like healthcare and and i mean i think that's under talked about is what For I'm saying. Sure. and to how much how oftentimes eating issues go with sexual issues yeah i mean it's all you know and and, and it all comes down to like you were saying like the shame behind it yeah. like and that is then tied into how taboo it is and <laughs> really having these conversations that you know things like the and I wonder how the Me Too movement got the way that it did. Like we we when often you... sort of kind of jokingly blame blame Gen Z. Yeah. <laughs> you you Gen- blame what? Generation Z, the generation. Ah, born, okay. Like, I mean, ninety. I don't know how old you are, but supposedly you know, ninety four after. You mean. I mean, like yes, but also I think it's just from people not having the the needs met, and it's a really good way of getting attention uh, yeah. if you had something bad happen to you. That's mm. what I, I mainly saw with the Me Too all over my Facebook of like, this thing happened to me and you guys should give me love and attention because they didn't know how to request something else and looking for ridiculous scenarios like one yeah, story man. I remember being... Um, yeah, so this, um, this friend who has a really reasonable paying job sort of thing going and eating um i don't know if it was like a starbucks or something you know something that's not necessarily that cheap sort of thing and then telling a story about this homeless man that came in and said her her friend that was with her was sexy and she was complaining of like and you're like are you not looking at the position of power that you're in right now like you're literally shitting on somebody who lives on the street because they gave you in some kind of way a compliment, a compliment you know and they're saying the demon them so bad and the trauma that you're going for and like you go home you know to choose an outfit for tonight's party while this person lives on Sites the street life, sort of yeah. thing and every person that walks past them tries to not even make eye contact with them and you're traumatized that they said you had a nice ass like and i think it really in a judgmental way, I'm looking at this person, I'm like, what the fuck? You're not really assessing the situation. But at the same time, I'm seeing, empathizing, like, this friend wants attention. Mm-hmm. In some kind of, they want people to love them and, like, appreciate them for who they are. Totally. And I think that's what it, like, really comes from most people. Um,